Section 43 of the Works of Guy de Maupassant, Volume 3, by Guy de Maupassant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. The Red One and the Other. Well, really, Chezeval said, standing with his back to the fire, could any of those respectable shopkeepers and wine growers have possibly believed that that pretty little Parisian woman, with her soft, innocent eyes like those of a Madonna, with such smiling lips and golden hair, and who always dressed so simple, was their candidate's mistress? She was a wonderful help to him, and accompanied him even to the most outlying farms, went to the meetings in the small village cafés, and had a pleasant and suitable word for everyone, and did not recoil at a glass of mulled wine or a grip of the hand, and was always ready to join in Ferrandole. She seemed to be so in love with Elian Rouler, to trust him so entirely, to be so proud of forming half of his life, and of belonging to him, gave him such looks of full pleasure and of hope, and listened to all he said so intently that voters who might have hesitated allowed themselves by degrees to be talked over and persuaded, and promised their votes to the young doctor whose name they never heard mentioned in the district before. That electoral campaign had been like a truant's escapade for Jane Dardin. It was a delightful and unexpected holiday, and as she was an actress at heart, she played her part seriously, and threw herself into her character, and enjoyed herself more than she ever enjoyed herself in her most adventurous outings. And then there came in the pleasure of being taken for a woman of the world, of being flattered, respected, and envied, and of getting out of the usual groove for a time, and also the dream that this journey of a few weeks would have the sequence that her lover would not separate from her on their return, but would sacrifice the woman whom he no longer loved, and whom he ironically used to call his Cinderella to her. At night, when they had laid aside all pretense, and when they were alone in their room in the hotel, she coaxed him and flattered him, spurred his ambition on, threw her quivering arms round him, and amidst her kisses whispered those words to him which make a man proud and warm his heart and give him strength like a stout dram of alcohol. The two between them captured the district and won the election easily, and in spite of his youth, Elian Rouler was chosen by a majority of five thousand. Then, of course, there were more feats and banquets at which Jane was present and where she was received with enthusiastic shouts. There were fireworks when she was obliged to set light to the first rocket, and balls at which she astonished those worthy people by her affability. And when they left, three little girls dressed in white, as if they were going to be confirmed, came onto the platform and recited some complimentary verses to her while the band played the Marseillaise. The women waved their pocket handkerchiefs, and the men their hats, and, leaning out of the carriage window, looking charming in her travelling costume, with a smile on her lips, and with moist eyes, as was fitting at such a pathetic leave-taking, actress as she was, with a sudden and childlike gesture, she blew kisses to them from the tips of her fingers, and said, "'Good-bye, my friends. Good-bye only for the present. I shall never forget you.' The deputy, who was also very effusive, had invited his principal supporters to come and see him in Paris, as there were plenty of excursion trains. They all took him at his word, and Rouler was obliged to invite them all to dinner. 
In order to avoid any possible mishaps, he gave his wife a foretaste of their guests. He told her that they were rather noisy, talkative, and unpolished, and that they would no doubt astonish her by their manners and their accent, but that as they had great influence and were excellent men, they deserved a good reception. It was a very useful precaution, for when they came into the drawing-room in their new clothes, expanding with pleasure, and with their hair pomatumed as if they had been going to a country wedding, they felt inclined to fall down before the new Madame Roulaire, to whom the deputy introduced them, and who seemed to be perfectly at home there. At first they were embarrassed, felt uncomfortable and out of place, did not know what to say, and had to seek their words. They buttoned and unbuttoned their gloves, answered her questions at random, and racked their brains to discover the solution of the enigma. Captain Moridou looked at the fire with the fixed gaze of a somnambulist. Marius Barbast scratched his fingers mechanically, while the three others, the factory manager Casmahel, Roqueton the lawyer, and Dustuguet, the hotel proprietor, looked at Roulaire anxiously. The lawyer was the first to recover himself. He got up from his armchair laughing heartily, dug the deputy in the ribs with his elbow, and said, I understand it all. I understand it. You thought that people do not come to Paris to be bored, eh? Madame is delightful, and I congratulate you, monsieur. He gave a wink and made signs behind his back to his friends, and then the captain had his turn. We are not boobies, and that fellow Roquetan is the most knowing of the lot of us. Ah, monsieur Roulaire, without any exaggeration, you are the cream of good fellows and with a flushed face and expanding his chest, he said sonorously, They certainly turn them out very pretty in your part of the country, my little lady. Madame Roulaire, who did not know what to say, had gone up to her husband for protection, but she felt much inclined to go to her own room under some pretext or other, in order to escape from her intolerable task. She kept her ground, however, during the whole of dinner, which was a noisy, jovial meal, during which the five electors, with their elbows on the table, and their waistcoats unbuttoned and half-drunk, told coarse stories and swore like troopers. But as the coffee and the liqueurs were served in the smoking-room, she took leave of her guests in an impatient voice, and went to her own room with the hasty step of an escaped prisoner, who was afraid of being retaken. The electors sat staring after her with gaping mouths, and Moridou lit a cigar, and said, "'Just listen to me, Monsieur Roulaire. It was very kind of you to invite us here, to your little quiet establishment. But to speak to you frankly, I should not, in your place, wrong my lawful wife for such a stuck-up piece of goods as this one is.' "'The captain is right,' Roquetan the notary opined. "'Madame Roulaire, the lawful Madame Roulaire, is much more amiable and altogether nicer.' You are a scoundrel to deceive her. But when may we hope to see her? And with a paternal grimace, he added, But do not be uneasy. We will all hold our tongue. It would be too sad if she were to find it out. End of section 43. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.